Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from somewhere in the western half of Canada. Episode 70, Simple Victories. Last week, Randy was away for a couple of days, and so I was home by myself. Normally, this wouldn't have taken much thought beyond what to make for meals and how to occupy my evenings, but the house we live in now is older and has a few more quirks. One of these quirks is that we rely on a wood stove for heat, and since we are now well into fall on the west coast, or wet coast as it's sometimes fondly referred to, not running it is not an option. So this meant that I had to successfully start fires and keep them going in order to keep the house well above the ambient outside temperature. We used to camp all the time when I was growing up, and one of the things I remember is my dad using a propane torch to help get the campfire started, especially when the firewood on hand was green and wet. There was always some kind of pyramid of small pieces of wood with paper in the center, and then lighting the paper on fire and hoping the wood took and if not, out came the propane torch. Now, granted, this was camping in the Alberta Rockies, where the available firewood was mostly fresh-cut fir and spruce. Here on the Pacific coast, we have cedar, and that might as well be gasoline for how quickly dry cedar takes flame and burns. And our firewood comes from logging cuts a couple of years old. But my memories are that fires are not the easiest things to start. I've watched Randy make enough fires in the wood stove, asked him enough questions about air circulation, kindling structures, and wood types, and even done my own bit of adding logs and figuring out the dimensions of the stove over the last few months. Before he left, Randy filled the wood box and the wood shelf and made sure I had plenty of cedar kindling as well as rounds of fir for slow heat overnight, but once he was on the ferry, it was all up to me. And for the three days he was gone, I managed to keep the house warm. I started fires on my first try, was able to play with the damper to slow down the flame or make coals turn back into fire, and while I may never have brought the house up to the oh my god, someone turn the heat down, oh right, we can't temperature that Randy gets on a regular basis, at least the place was comfortable and dry. I only used half a shelf of kindling, less than one full newspaper, and Hoshi thought my fires were fine enough to sleep in front of all night, so I count that as a win. I am inordinately proud of this accomplishment. It's such a simple thing, really, making a fire to keep the house and the cat and myself warm, but on a visceral level, my success at it gives me confidence that there are other new things I can achieve. And yet, perhaps this victory shouldn't have been so surprising, because, above all else, I am a fibre artist. At its most basic level, there isn't too much difference between making a fire and knitting or spinning. You need to understand the characteristics of the material you are working with, you need to understand the mechanics of what you're attempting to accomplish, and you need to execute the action, clumsily at first, but with increasing confidence and skill the more practice you get. Yes, when you try to do something differently, you may have some failures. Personally, I stuck with the log house way of laying kindling, rather than try to build a pyramid from the front of the wood stove. But I expect that if I did try the pyramid, it would take me a few tries to get it to work right. But I have done the same thing with fiber arts, 
my first attempts at reading charts, at spinning cotton, at crocheting more complex stitch patterns, and threading a four-shaft weaving draft were all fraught with attempts that were more or less, usually less, successful. But each time I gained more skill and a better understanding of the thing, and the next attempt was always just a little bit better. On Wednesday night, I made it to library knitting for the first time in quite a while, and I sat next to a young man who was learning how to knit. We chatted, and when I told him I wanted to show him why many beginners find themselves randomly increasing stitches, he handed over his scarf in progress. I showed him how the first stitch can flip over and how to avoid it, but in doing so I noticed that all his stitches were twisted on the needle. It took us a little while to figure out why that was happening. He was wrapping the working yarn in the reverse direction. But once we did, he was happy. I don't want to knit wrong, he said. There is no such thing as knitting wrong, I told him, and don't let anyone tell you that. Twisted stitches are an absolutely valid stitch. What's important is that you intend to do it, and if you don't, you need to figure out why it's happening. I told him the story of spending my first year in Edmonton, when I retaught myself how to knit but did not have family or community around me to make corrections, and how I twisted all of my pearl stitches, and how knitting completely changed for me once I figured out what I was doing and how to change it. After, I no longer dreaded knitting back, my speed and comfort levels increased, and I was able to progress in skill and complexity of projects. We forget sometimes what it felt like to complete our first garter stitch project without errors. We forget the pride in that first skein of yarn that was mostly even and that came out exactly as we had hoped to spin. We forget that feeling of laying down a fire and consistently have it take. And yet, we shouldn't. These simple victories set the stage for others, and we should never diminish them simply because we think they lack the stature of completing a complicated lace shawl, or a 2,000-yard skein of cobweb-weight yarn, or having the whole house warm enough that you can sit around in your underwear. Just because a victory is simple doesn't make it not a victory. So stay aware of them in your own life, and remember to celebrate them when they come. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. It seems like every time I say, yeah, I'm gonna really get on figuring things out and spending more time spinning, something always happens. <laughs> Right now we're in the middle of renovations at the office. We're uh, adding a, another room and so my studio space where I've been working has sort of been all kind of tossed in the air again as we move furniture around and, and put it in places. So so that kind of uh, put a, a damper on things that, that I felt like doing and I understand that, um, that uh, colloquialism now because I've been building fires. So I spend some time painting the bathroom at the office, um, as well as, you know, getting getting things, uh, supervising the, some contractors who are putting up uh, some, uh, framing up some new walls. But unfortunately, that meant I didn't have a ton of time to spin. I did, however, finish the gradient project that I was working on, on my Hanson, the one I, I had started two weeks ago. 
finished up the spinning on Saturday and then plied it as well. And uh, it's really, really lovely. I, I do like how it chain plied. I, I love the gradient. Needs to be washed, but, uh, but it's really beautiful. The fiber came from Yarn Ink out of Calgary. And uh, yeah, it was a long gradient. So I, I'm really pleased with how that turned out in the sparkle and, and that. I'm not sure yet if that's going to go in the in the Christmas sale for the guild or if I'm going to keep it for myself. Once I wash it and maybe take a look at it and decide maybe what I want to do with it, um, we'll see. But I'm also on the th onto the third single of the three ply uh, that I'm also working on in the Superwash Merino. And yeah, just plugging away at the little things. I do have to get back to uh, working on the Ply Magazine article yarn. I'd like to still have a little bit more available uh, for the end of the month and get that article finished and, and the samples and stuff off to, to ply down in the States. I also still haven't washed the next fleece or carded up a Rolag. I've been working uh, in between all the other things. I've also been working on master spinner work and helping my students, uh, my level six students from last year, as well as my level three students. Uh, they're all getting their workbooks to me. And so I'm going to be doing quite a bit of marking over the next few weeks, which will also cut into the time I have to spend spinning. But I am going to be doing something that's a little new for me, and that will be carting up bats on a drum carter. I'm going to borrow one from the guild because we're about to set up for the winter sale anyway, and so they'll have to be either moved out of the way, and so I'm just going to borrow one for a couple of weeks. But I need to cart up some bats on a drum carter because I'm teaching a felting class. And I want to make some some bats that have, you know, a little bit of color so that the, the students that I'm teaching will be able to take from one bat with, with a consistent sort of preparation to it and, and make their wet felted ornaments out of it. So so that'll be what I'm working on. Now I've I've tried I've owned a drum carter once and I never really it never really worked for me. And it's probably just a matter of practice. So I'm kind of looking forward to, you know, just taking some time to make bats and and figure out how they work. You know, like I, I can hand card no problem. And you'd think that, you know, you could drum card as well because it's just simply a, a, a more mechanical way of carding. But there is definitely a learning curve involved in using it. So... So that's something I'm looking forward to doing. And uh, yeah, we'll be able to go over what I learned about it in the next episode. But that's really where I'm at with spinning right now. It's uh, slower than I would like. And until we finish the drywalling, the mudding and the painting, it probably will continue to be slower than I would like. But I will still take some time out and and do some spinning over the next few weeks just to get ready for well just to stay on top of it and because I love it and it relaxes me and sometimes I just need that reset of my brain in the middle of a busy day which leads me to the next module of level four 
So the next module is module C2, and in module C2 you take one raw fleece and then you spin skeins of yarn in various combinations of preparations and spinning styles. And I am sitting at the office with two fleeces right now, one Romney, one Jacob. And it would be very interesting because they're very different uh, types of wool to do this exercise with it. And I was already sampling with the Romney to kind of figure out what was the best type of yarn to, to make out of this particular fleece. And so this comes at a, at a really good time because this is the perfect exercise to do with both of those fleeces to just kind of figure out what I want to do with them. So you're spinning eight skeins of yarn. Let me just confirm that. Yes, indeed, eight skeins of yarn. And when I took it, we used the word semi and it would put the word semi in front of either worsted or woolen. And I, we took that out when we did the curriculum rewrite because semi is the worst possible word in terms of clarity that you could possibly use. Some people out there in the world use semi to, they, they, they relate semi to the preparation of the fiber. And other people out there in the world relate semi to the spinning style of the fiber. And so you never know who, which, which uh, of these camps the person you're talking with subscribes to. So when we redid the curriculum for the Master Spinner program, we took those sem word semi away because it's completely useless. What is useful is to say, this is the preparation I used, and this is the spinning style that I used. So in terms of your preparation style, in, in this case, we had elongated locks. So you just took a lock and, and stretched it out with no mechanical anything preparation done to it. We flick carded locks. So again, you're just, you know, smacking away at the edge ends of the, of the lock with a flick carder. Then the quote-unquote true woolen, or English woolen, so row lags with a double drafting uh, style of spinning. And also a row lag then spun in a worsted style. A sliver, which is carded, and but rolled horizontally so that the fibers are mostly parallel, spun woolen. A sliver spun worsted, a sliver spun worsted, then reversed on the bobbins, and then plied. And then a true worsted, which is combed, spun, reversed on the bobbins, and plied. Now when I did this exercise in level 4, I used a merino fleece. So because of the characteristics of merino, it's very squishy, high crimp, every one of my skeins has a sort of woolenish character simply because of the crimp. But from, from one to the other, you can still definitely see that there are, there are variations in what happens when you take these different preparations and spin them in different ways. So of these eight skeins, I had the most trouble with the elongated locks. And that might have been just the fleece or may have been just the, the preparation itself. That skein as fuzzy in places and smooth in others and overall I just really wasn't happy with that skein and, and that is the one I lost marks on but otherwise you know each of those preparations you know created a really beautiful skein of yarn so really it just depends on what you're hoping to accomplish 
with that particular fleece and also what kind of spinning style and preparation style that particular fleece works well with. So it really is a good exercise and it is it is a lot of fun to do. And so moving forward, because I have these two fleeces, very different character of wool, I think that's what I'm going to to do probably maybe we'll try in the next couple weeks. We're still in the midst of renovations, so I will do my best to even get started on one of them. So that's level four. In the next episode, we go on to the novelty yarns that are we're required to spin for level four. All lots of fun with color and texture and that kind of thing. And yeah, we'll see how much spinning I get done before the next episode. Fiber notes. Well, I totally managed to finish the Halloween socks before Halloween. I got them done on October 29th and wore them for Halloween. It was a relatively warm day, so I had to take them off halfway through and put them back on in the evening, but still, I got my socks done. They're really, really lovely. The I really like the way that the Vanilla is the New Black pattern fits on the heel. It's just a, it's just a snug, nice fit across the uh, the bridge of the foot and in the heel itself. So it's definitely one of my go-tos for highly uh, variable or variegated yarns because it's just a, you know, it's the only quote-unquote complex piece of it is the heel and that's just simply a two-by-two two rib. And so it's, it really showcases the yarn more so than having a pattern. Now, I like patterned socks. I really do. So, but you, you, if you're not going to be able to see the pattern, then there's not much point in doing it. So I did come home from Denmark with a whole bunch of solid sock yarns. So I will definitely be doing some patterned socks out of those. The wedding shawl continues apace. I am six rows from finishing chart five, but oh, every row is just taking a long time now. I've been able to start reading the lace pattern, so I've caught a couple errors on the way back, and and uh, you know I'm sort of I, I know which piece I'm in, so it makes it easier to read. And and there's still like in the one row there were three instances of knit five stitches, and something different followed every one. And every once in a while I'd get confused, but I would be able to to take a look at the stitches underneath and go, no, no, I'm not in the right spot, and go back and figure it out. But they're long. By the time I get to the end of the row, I have the, the pattern for that row basically memorized, even though they are complicated. So I'm trying to get, you know, at least it, when I'm when I knit on it, I try and get two rows in the pattern row and the and the pearl back. And I'm trying to do that at least three times a week, so that I can get I can get it done. So that means by the next episode, I should be well into chart six. But we'll see, because like I said, the rows are getting really long, and it may be a matter of doing one row and then purling back the next day. So we'll see. 
With the socks finished, I needed something else to carry around in my purse, so I decided to make myself some fingerless mittens. It's getting to be that time of year around here where it's not super cold, but cold enough you want something on your wrists and palms in the morning. I have a pair of fingerless mittens, too, actually, but uh, I, I really love the pattern that I did my nephew's fingerless mittens in, and so I bought yarn for that. Uh, to make those for myself, but I have to go up a needle size. I knit his on two millimeter needles and I decided to go up to 2.5s for me, just for that little bit of extra ease. And I'm still at the phase where I'm not sure that was the right decision if I should not have gone up to 2.25, but the fabric is nice and it fits over my hand, so I'm going with it for now. Once I get to the thumb of this mitten, then I can really have a, a feel for whether or not that will be the right decision. And if I have to take it back, I have to take it back. It's a tonal gray from an independent dyer in Canada. And for the life of me right now, I can't remember who. So I'll put the, that in the show notes. And it's really pretty. It's, a, it's an MCN, a Merino Cashmere Nylon Blend. So a really, really nice sock yarn. There's pieces of dark gray and then a lot of light gray. So I'm getting these, it's cloudy. It looks cloudy. And I think that will be really nice because my other fingerless mittens are red. So I'll have this sort of neutral gray one when I'm finished. And then the red cabled one when I feel like, you know, making a statement. As I mentioned in the previous segment, I have a felting class that I'm teaching and it's completely full. Now that happens in three weeks, so and, and very popular. Uh, so that, that feels pretty good. So we added a second session and that will take place two weeks later. So I've got a lot of carding to do, but by the same token, I also want to make some ornaments for myself here because uh, right now all of my Christmas stuff is in a different province and this will be the first year that I don't go back to my parents for Christmas in my adult life. So not only do I ha not have the things that are familiar to me, the whole thing of Christmas will be unfamiliar to me. I'll, and so it, I think it'll be nice to sort of make new ornaments for the tree and make new traditions and and that I think the the newness of it and, and making making those decisions about what is my Christmas what is my Christmas going to look like and don't get me wrong I'm going to be incorporating a lot of stuff from the Christmas that I usually have that will probably see if we can do a, a pork roast or um, we're definitely dancing around the tree and I don't care what anybody says. We're dancing around the tree and we're singing uh, Danish songs, a couple of them. And There's a Danish word uh, that is, it's hygge. And there's been a lot of articles written about hygge in the last, you know, lots of time, you know, and it's, it is an untranslatable word. But if you had to translate it, it sort of translates to cozy and warm. And I think about that word a lot when we have the wood fire going and when I think about what I want my Christmas to be like. So that's 
that's how I'm going to approach it. I want to take this Danish concept and bring it to my home here on the West Coast. So, yeah. And Christmas is only like two months away, less than two months away. Can you believe that? It's crazy. So there's a lot to get done in the next little while. And so I'm going to be working on that. But part of that is teaching these two classes and, and you know, introducing people to the concept of wet felting and making a few ornaments for myself. So those are the things I'm working on fiber-related. We'll see. I'm, I don't foresee me being finished any projects before the next episode. Maybe I'll have a few more ornaments done because I have a few things, more things I want to test out before the class and I need to write a, a handout for it. But yeah, we'll see how far along I am. Cranking on the fiber side. Well, the new needles and the new parts have arrived. And we put them on, and and in the case of the yarn guide stem, we had to create a couple of cardboard washers because otherwise the yarn guide was like right up against the needles and that just wasn't gonna work. So the washers work fine, it keeps it far far enough away. But I, I still have to do some testing there because when I started cranking a little bit and then I wanted to put in a heel with all of these new pieces, my first pass, I, I was able to go forward, then back, and then when I went forward again, the whole heel came off all of the needles. So I'm not sure why, and... Uh, I think that there's a, such a steep learning curve with this machine. It's it's really interesting. I mean, I understand the, 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 the mechanics and the concept, but for example, I don't know why all of it popped off. I'm, I'm guessing it maybe was because I put too much weight on too soon, but that doesn't make any sense either. So I think for right now, I'm just going to concentrate on the cranking part. This is the easy part, but it also gives these new pieces a chance to be worked in. I saw a recipe on uh, the Facebook group for circular sock machines for someone who made infinity scarves from you know uh, some Lion brand yarn. Shawl in a ball, I think it's called. So I had to put in an Amazon order for some, some things around the house, and so I added on uh, six balls of this yarn. So I'm just waiting for them to arrive. The recipe, the, the lady who made these, made them on her lowest tension on a 60 stitch cylinder and put stitches on every second needle. So the, the gauge is quite loose. And then she just basically cranked the whole thing into a tube and kitchenered the ends together. And then suddenly you had an infinity scarf. So this will give me practice with putting on waste yarn, casting on the appropriate thing, doing all the kitchenering, and it's and also just playing with that tension piece as well and, and figuring out the possibilities that are available with this particular machine. And give those new pieces a chance to be run in. We, all, we have a guild sale coming up, their, their annual Christmas sale. And so uh, as a spinner, I, I don't have 
a lot of time to left to spin yarn to put in the sail and I certainly don't have enough time to knit anything and, and after the sale I will be start preparing items for next year that's fine but if I can get six of these infinity scarves done and and ready for the sale then that will that that'll be good enough if I put in like three skeins of yarn and, and six scarves that'll be enough for this year and then I can start preparing for next year. So I'm going to do that and then I'm, I'm going to start figuring out what I can do with this before I even put the ribber back on. Like I have new needles for the ribber, ribber dial. I'm not even going there until I know I can make a sock with a heel on just the cylinder. There's a lot of testing to be done and learning to be done with this machine. But you know, I, I love the fact that I'm getting it working again. When I got the machine, the lady threw in a flatbed knitting machine and I had no use for it. And there was a gentleman here who randomly posted on Facebook and, and someone said, Oh, you should make blankets. He's like, Oh, I don't knit fast enough for that. So, you know, I, I messaged him and I said, would you like, this flatbed knitting machine and uh, he said yes and I saw him at a craft fair this past weekend and he's making amazing things like the he's he's having fun and he's playing with it and the machine is working the tool is in use and that is the most important thing to me and I feel the same way about the circular sock machine it, it I don't want it to just sit there you know I want it to be used. And so I'm going to keep at it until I figure it out. And then, you know, between Randy and I, because he likes machines, it will be, it will, we'll, we'll make it work and we'll, we'll understand it. So they're a lot of fun. And if you have a chance to, to get one, I, I highly recommend it. They have their quirks. They, and as a general rule, they're antiques unless you buy new, but, uh, but they are a ton of fun. And I'm looking forward to being able to make size 15 socks for for uh, people out there, men, who uh, have trouble finding nice socks. So that's where, I'm at with, uh, where I am with that. Um, I will be posting pictures once I get the yarn and get the tubes done. I'll be posting pictures to my Facebook page. So keep an eye out for that in the future. By the wayside. I didn't get a lot done on the accolade the last two weeks, mostly because I still hate the chart. You know, you're, you're looking at pieces of it and you know that that color of line is, you know, when you look at it in the chart, it looks black. You come down to the, the legend and you know it can't be black just because of where it is and where it is with all the other colors. You know it has to be the golden brown one, which looks purple or brown in the chart or in the legend. And uh, when you go up to the chart, it doesn't look like that. And yeah, I just know that there's more mistakes coming. I just know that. And that frustrates me. But I'm still, I'm getting it done. 
So I, I started on the the rest of the wall. I've got one color in of that straight stitch, and I just have to work my way over because you know that you can't just you have to anchor your 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 thread end into something, and all it is is blank fabric over there. So I just, you know, I, I did as much as I could in that particular color. I have to work my way across with the other colors uh, until I get all the way over. But it's coming. And then I started thinking about Christmas and having a Christmas tree. And I remembered that I have a tree skirt kit. Uh, the Windswept Santa's tree skirt kit. Uh, again, cross stitch. And I'm about a third of the way, maybe halfway through the first Santa. There's three Santas on the one side. And because this is a North American kit, it only has uh, design on the one side because in North America, most Christmas trees sit in the corner. And that is not the case for uh, people from Scandinavia. Our tree is in the center of the room. And so when I started this kit in my you know, copious wisdom, I had said to myself, I'm going to knit this pattern on both sides. So this will be the next By the Wayside project, and it will absolutely not be done by this Christmas, but potentially by next Christmas or the Christmas after, probably the Christmas after. But while I was thinking about this, I went through my little bag of the cross-stitch patterns and kits that I'd kept, and I found a bunch of ornaments. And so I'm trying to decide whether or not I should spend a bit of time working on a couple of ornaments for the tree instead of just, you know, the felted ornaments that I could do. They're, they're um, paper, paper, uh, cross-stitch paper kits. And I have a set, two sets of three ornaments of Santas. And one of them are nautical Santas, so Santas in various naval gear and the other one are arctic santas and they're adorable and i feel like i should maybe try and get one of those sets done i had finished the one but uh then hoshi got at it and and it's a little mangled now and i could probably like press it and reinforce it but maybe the best better idea would be to just completely redo the whole thing but again, we're less than two months till Christmas, so I've got to factor that in as well. And I don't want to take time away from the accolade. You know, I want to get the accolade done. And this straight stitch part actually goes pretty quickly if I can sit down and spend some time on it. So, but I'm already thinking ahead to the next By the Wayside project, which will be that ridiculous Christmas tree skirt. So that's where I'm at. I'm hoping to have more accomplished by the next episode certainly. Uh, it, it, it goes quickly. I just need to spend the time with it. Thank you for joining me for episode 70. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 71 on November 17th, 2019. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion on Facebook or Ravelry. 
If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at bythefiberside, that's F-I-B-R-E, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside.